The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Yeah. All right. Welcome to Get It Done Sports Radio with your host, Karif Bird. Our program is an inside look at the total high school athlete and the college recruiting process. And we'll give you a better understanding of who Get It Done Sports is and how we produce a new generation of athletes today. Now, here's your host, Karif Bird. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us this morning. How are you doing, Radio World? You are on our October the 8th, 2013, 2013 edition. I'm your host, Karif Bird, founder of Get It Done Sports, the premier authority in sports training college recruiting. For more information on training college camps, please visit our website at www.getitdonesports.com or email us at info at getitdonesports.com. To our listeners, today we have a very special guest. He was five times all pro. He spent 11 years with the L.A. Rams, Mr. Leroy Irvin. Mr. Leroy Irvin, thanks for joining us this morning. No problem, Mr. Karif Bird. <laughs> Mr. Irvin, you spent 11 years in the NFL, but to get to that point, there was a process. Take us through that process, starting from the beginning, early ages, when you first knew that you wanted to play football, and when did you know that you were going to be able to play in the NFL? Well, when I first, I first fell in love with the game in 1969 when I saw the Jets play the Colts in the Super Bowl, and I became a big, huge Joe Namath fan. And after that game... I just decided that, you know, I, I prayed every day and asked the Lord if he would allow me to play pro football. And, um, you know, I, I worked hard. I even uh, uh, tricked my neighbors to playing football with me in, in the yard, you know, the girls and the boys. I would uh, promise them if they played a certain amount of time, I would pay them. And every time the game was over, they'd all come to my house for their, for their money and I would go upstairs and hide, but uh, I've been loving the game for a long time. You know, uh, it took a lot of hard work, you know, to, to get to the, to the NFL. And, uh, uh, and you know, it's, things happened along the way that, you know, got me the opportunity to play in the NFL because I wasn't supposed to play in the NFL. You know, when I was born, I was born with, with braces on my knees, my legs, so I couldn't walk. And all the kids would make fun of me because I couldn't walk at an early age. I didn't start walking until I was like four or three or four years old. And everyone made fun of me. And then later in life when I told my parents I wanted to be an NFL player, they, they kind of reminded me a little bit about, you know, my walking troubles. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, it just took a, it's a long, long road there. And uh, I made it. When, when you were in high school, uh, obviously, you, you you had mentioned you earlier before you had played you played run, a running back in high school. Was that position your choice that you always wanted to play? Yeah, because you know after after uh, you know Joe Namath was my first hero, then it was O.J. Simpson. Okay, and so O.J. Yes, and so I wanted to be a running back so bad. You know, I I, I tried to run like him. I wore thirty two just like him, and I really wanted to be a running back. But you know, when I first started out playing football. They had me playing offensive guard, 
linebacker, tackle. I was the fastest kid in the city, but I was playing on the offensive line. But I didn't really care. I just wanted to play in the game. But it came to a head when I got to high school because in ninth grade I played guard and linebacker. And I got into tenth grade, and they put me at tackle, and I was like 165 at tackle, one of the fastest kids in the city at 165 playing tackle. I went up to my coach, I'll never forget this, and I said, Coach, you know, I love the game of football, and I will play offensive line if you guys want me to. But I think I, I would be a better running back. And so he said, okay, Leroy, we'll give you a shot. Well, the rest is history. I ended up starting as, as a 10th grader and made all state as a senior and, and got a scholarship to go to University of Kansas. University of Kansas, not really known for his basketball. I mean, football is known for more for his basketball, although in recent years has come along a little bit. Uh, playing the tough conference, you know, with, uh, well, not Nebraska anymore, but with Oklahoma. Uh, what, what, what made your decision, what made you make the decision to go to Kansas as opposed to some other schools, uh, you know, maybe University of Georgia in your backyard? Obviously, you're a good enough player. What happened there? Well, it's a funny story, you know, a very funny story. Uh, you know, when I came out of high school, I was like, I made, made all state and I was, you know, I had like 1,800 yards rushing, 20 some touchdowns, average over eight yards a carry. And I thought everybody would recruit me, but nobody recruited me. Zero recruits. Uh, and then my uncle, uh, who's the pastor over in North Augusta, he had a, 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 a guy who had been to his, who went to high school at his school, high school he taught at and was now coaching at Appalachian State. So he called Appalachian State, and Appalachian State said, oh, we'll give him a shot. We'll bring him up for a visit. And so Appalachian State brought me up for a visit. And then when I got back to Augusta, the coaches at University of Kansas were at Alabama the year prior. And so they knew how to recruit the Southeast. The Southeast. And so they were at a school in our, in our city called uh, in Augusta called Lucy Laney. And they were trying to recruit another guy who was my arch rival, Mitchell Ferguson, to go to to go to uh, Georgia, I mean, to go to Alabama. But Coach Dupree said, well, you know, Mitchell's going to go to Alabama. He's not going to go to Kansas, so don't waste your time. But there's a kid up there at Glen Hills who you guys might like. And so uh, he, the, the coach from Kansas went up to Glen Hills, and they were talking to my coach, uh, Joe Olive. And Joe Olive told him, yeah, you know, Leroy Irvin, he's, he's one of the most recruited backs in the South. Everybody wants him. Georgia, Florida. Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to go to Kansas, but I'll ask him. And so, uh, uh, you know, that was that was how I got to the University of Kansas. And I remember when I w- took my visit to Kansas, well, Gail Sayers had called me on the phone and orchestrated my, my trip to Kansas. Hall, Hall of Fame running back, Gail Sayers. Yes. And so when I got to Kansas, the, 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 the coach said, look, when you go talk to the head coach, you make sure you tell him everybody in the Southeast Conference is recruiting you. And so I told him that. I lied to him. I told him. Well, fast forward to the summer. My going, going into my freshman year that summer, there's a magazine, a Big 8 magazine that came out. And in that magazine, it had a clip in it that said, in Kansas, struck gold when it went down to Augusta, Georgia, and recruited the most and got the most recruited back in the South. But that was a long story. You know, I, I was very blessed to have an opportunity to play. And if it wasn't for my hard work and my dedication and my desire to be really good, I don't think my head coach would have told University of Kansas that I was the most recruited back in the South when I wasn't. It just goes to show you that if you really work hard and you do the right things, good things will happen to you. Where did you get the work ethic from? Probably my dad because my dad was, you know, military. 
Everything was military, you know, it was no gray areas. It's black and white. You either do it or you don't. And his favorite saying was, eat, root hog, or die. And I, I heard that, I, the first time I heard that saying when I was probably like 10 years old. And he'd already told me my three options in life. I could eat, which is have a job, you know, and, and, and just you know, survive like no, normal people. I can root hog. I mean, I can scrounge and beg for food for the rest of my life. Or I can just give up and die. So those are my three options. And so I figured I want to eat. So I decided to, I had a goal. I had three things I wanted to do in life. Three things that I knew that if I did it, it wouldn't be like going to work. One of them was I was going to go to college, get my degree, and become a pilot in the Air Force. Second one, I was going to go to college, get my degree, and become a high school football coach. Third one was I was going to go to college, get my degree, and become an NFL football player. And so the third one is what I ended up doing. You came from a big family, um, six kids. What was that like as far as competitiveness? Were you the only one interested in sports? Were there better athletes in the group? Were you the best one? Well, I, I was the best one because I was the one who wanted it. None of, my, none of my brothers and sisters wanted to be in sports. You know, my older sister, she never played sports. My younger sisters never played sports. My brothers, they tried sports, but they were really like mathematicians. They were more studious. And so I was, I was the most athletic of the group, you know. And growing up with them was kind of hard because, you know, back in those days, you know, we weren't poor, but sweets never stayed in the refrigerator too long. Food didn't stay around too long. So if you got if you're late for lunch or late for dinner or late for breakfast, you was late indeed. It was all gone because everybody had beat you to it. But but uh, life was good growing up. As opposed to the support team, when you got or six of you guys, obviously eight total, was that a good support team? Bad support team? Kind of tough to deal with. I know because it's hard to manage. You know, six kids at a time. You know, were your parent were your parents at your games? Would the family ever go to games, or was it kind of just you kind of on your own? Well, you know, uh, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. So back in the early uh, in the '60s, I lived in Tacoma, Washington, where I was the only black, you know, kid in the whole school. Then we moved to Georgia and Alabama, where we were at all black schools. So it was a transitional period for us. And during that transitional period, my dad was always overseas in Korea, Germany, Vietnam, you name it. He was never really around. So my mom became the person who took me to my sporting events, went to the games, and gave me all the support that I needed to continue and and play sports. Uh, My dad, however, was the first person who got me started uh, playing uh, uh, football. So... I give him credit for that, but you know he was never around because he was serving his country. When you when you look back at those days, what is the one thing that sticks with you probably the most when you when your when your mom? What are some things, some values that you took from her uh, as far as raising your own kids? Because now you have you know you have four kids of your own. What are some values that she taught you that translated over to the way you raise your kids now? Well, that you have to be you have to you know be a disciplinarian. But you also have to be nurturing and loving and caring. And you have to be, you know, uh, able to compromise with them as far as what they're going to do in life and the decision that they make. Uh, my mom was uh, very stern, very, very stern. But she was also very loving as well. And she just showed me that, you know, the love that she had for us and her sisters and brothers and her uncles and aunts was just unbelievable. And, and I, I really 
admire her for that trait because I don't really have that as much as she did. How much of a of a of a during the process of recruiting, how much of a role did she play? Did your dad play in the recruiting process? And did your brothers and sisters have any role in the process? You choosing Kansas as opposed to maybe go somewhere else or maybe not go to Appalachian State, like you mentioned. Well, my choice was easy when Kansas called and Gail Sayers called on top of that. It was very easy for me to make that choice to go to University of Kansas. And and, and inside of me, I wanted to go away. I wanted to go away from home and be on my own so that when I came back, everyone would miss me, you know. So that was one of my motivations for going to University of Kansas, other than the fact that it was one of only two schools that recruited me. But later on, after I had committed to going to University of Kansas, then Georgia tried to recruit me, but it was, it was too late then. Now, when you look back on it and you said, you know, it was too late, had Georgia come in a little earlier, would you have gone? No, would not have gone to Georgia. Uh, there was a guy in our city named Sylvester Bowler who I looked up to and admired for a long time. And he had went to a university of Georgia and I guess he got in some trouble. And uh, Vince Dooley, I think was suspended him off the team or kicked him off the team. And to me, that was like a, a black eye, you know, because like I said, you know, back in those days in the seventies, there was a white black thing going on, you know, and I didn't know, you know, being growing up in Washington and then coming to the South at that point, I didn't know if, if there was some prejudice there at University of Georgia or not. So uh, at the end, I decided to go to Kansas. How much of a role did Gail Sayers play in you going to University of Kansas? Well, I mean, like I said, I was going to go to University of Kansas anyway, but Gail made it so that I was for sure going to go to University of Kansas. And it makes it so funny about Gail is I see Gail every year at the Hall of Fame, every year. And so... And I see him around town at different events. And for, for about maybe five or six years when I got in the NFL, I'd always go up to Gail and say, Gail, man, you got me to go to the University of Kansas. And as soon as I get there, you go over to South, Southern Illinois and become AD over there. And he looked at, look at me and shake his head. He did it for about seven years, just shaking his head, shaking his head. And then I was at a Deacon Jones function about uh, five years ago. R.I.P. to Deacon Jones. And, and, I, and, I, and I saw Gail there. Well, I was going to walk up to Gail and tell him the same story I told him seven other times before. And Gail looked at me and said, get over it. Life goes on. And so he hasn't talked to me since. <laughs> well, Gail Sears, if you listen, he was only kidding. Um, <clears throat> going back to University of Kansas, you came in as a running back. Hmm. Did you know, did you end up being a defensive back? And I don't know how much defensive back you had played up until that point. But going, going to University of Kansas, they tell you you're going to move to defensive back. Was that a crushing blow? Were you okay with it? Or was it something you just said, you know what, let's try it and see? Well, what happened was, I was, remember I was most recruited back in the South, yeah. coming into University of Kansas. But what the reality was, they had recruited about six other backs. And they had two backs that were destined for the NFL. Uh, Laverne Smith and Billy Canfield. Canfield played for the uh, Eagles, and uh, Laverne Smith played for the Steelers. So I was behind two, you know, future uh, NFL running backs. And I was third team, and they ran the wishbone, and so they promised I'd be on the, I'd be the left halfback, so I get the pitch all the time. But they moved me to right halfback, who blocks most of the time. I looked over and I said, "Wow." There's only four cornerbacks over there, <laughs> four guys. I went to Lance Van Zant, 
who's the defensive coordinator, I said, hey, coach, uh, you think I can try corner? He said, sure, come on over here. And I played corner in that, that scrimmage. And I remember he said, wow, Leroy, you're quick as a hiccup. Long story short, I ended up starting as a freshman. The rest is history. So in a nutshell, you just wanted to play football. You didn't really care. I didn't care about the position. You know, most, most kids, I coach a Pop Warner team, and I coach you know, high school team. And, you know, all these kids are worrying about what position they play, what position they play. I, my position in the NFL was cornerback. I played cornerback one year. One year, my freshman year in college, the only year I ever played cornerback. My sophomore, junior, and senior year, I played free safety. So I only played cornerback one year. And when I got to the pros, I, I played cornerback and started my rookie year at, at cornerback. Um, so a lot of kids always talk about what position they're going to play in Pop Warner. You don't know where you're going to end up playing. Perfect example, Steve DeBerg, a good friend of mine who played. The quarterback. Like, yeah, the quarterback. Played like 19 years in the NFL. I had a conversation with him in Kansas City a while back, and he explained to me that he played offensive center until his third game of his senior year. Third game of his senior year, he played offensive center. The quarterback got hurt. He was the only guy on the team who knew the quarterback's job because he was a center, so they moved him to quarterback. He goes to J.C., ends up getting a scholarship to a two-year school, ends up playing 19 years in the NFL at quarterback. So the positions you play early on in life, have no bearing on where you're going to play later in life. So just play the game and have fun. You got to love the game. I, we had a couple of guests here the past couple of weeks, and one thing they've all mentioned was the love of the game. And they use examples like that. You know, guys, just play the game of football. Don't worry about what position you're going to play. Do you love the game or do you want to just play quarterback? Do you love the game or do you just want to play running back? What is your goal here? Are you a team player or are you too much by yourself? We got to take a break. We come back. Five times All-Pro, Leroy Irvin. We're going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame when we come back. Give us about two minutes. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Thank you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Get It Done Sports is one of the top sporting event facilitators and athletic trainers in the country. Get It Done Sports works with athletes to become the best they can be through speed, agility, and weight training, as well as junior high and high school football camps. Get It Done Sports provides an environment that fosters teamwork, discipline, responsibility, respect, family values, and, of course, hard work. With specialized instruction and programs, low athlete-to-coach ratios, and an encouraging learning environment, every athlete gets the level of attention required to improve their skills. At Get It Done Sports, our objective is to develop the next generation of leaders, citizens, and athletes who will become the role models in our communities. For more information about Get It Done Sports training and football camps, please go to www.getitdonesports.com. In life, there are those who make excuses and those who get it done. You only live once. Get it done. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. 
You are tuned in to Get It Done Sports Radio with Karif Bird. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Please call in to 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to info at getitdonesportsradio.com. Now, back to the show. We are back. Get It Done Sports Radio. Get It Done Sports Training. Send us an email www.getitdonesportstraining.com info at getitdonesports.com for all your sports performance needs get it done sports training we're here with five times all pro Leroy Irvin and we mentioned right before we took a break we're going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame Leroy you make the trip to the Hall of Fame every year do you ever think and tell us if and when and if not, why not you ever get that phone call? Well, you know, I was very fortunate after I retired in 1990 uh, to be nominated. I was one of the 13 finalists in the 1994 Hall of Fame balloting, and that was the closest I've ever gotten to the Hall of Fame. I don't believe I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, so I don't look for them to call me at any time. Uh, I think it's, re- it's the reserve for the very, very best. And uh, I was very good for a short period of time. Well, not for a short period of time, for about four or five years, I was very, very good. But I think in order to be a Hall of Fame, you have to be good your entire career. You have to put, if you played 11 years, you should be very good at least 10 of those 11 years. I was, I was good probably five of my 11 years. And so I don't really think I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but uh, just, just to get the, just to be in the top 13 in 1994 is, is good enough for me. A kid that, you know, couldn't walk until he was three years old, you know, played offensive lineman his whole career, overlooked by everybody, didn't get a scholarship to go to college, really had to wait to the last minute for Kansas to give me a scholarship. Uh, I mean, you know, just my love for the game and just what I've accomplished, man, it's like a dream come true, so I'm happy. Do you think popularity plays a huge role in Hall of Fame battling, battling, battling every year? Excuse me. I think the guys that are on network television have a better opportunity to to get in. The problem with the Hall of Fame ballot is that most of the sports writers who vote on it never actually seen the guys play. And that's the problem with the Hall of Fame. It's it's the sports writers who vote for it, but most of them, you know, they, they're voting for guys they never even watch play. So they're looking at stats and they're comparing stats instead of looking at guys' actual game film. Like Andre Reid, why is he not in the Hall of Fame? I, I don't understand why Andre Reid's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, three Super Bowls back-to-back. The Buffalo Bill receiver. And so uh, so I, I'm always advocating for Andre Reid to get in the Hall of Fame. I think Isaac Bruce and and uh, should be in the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, Torrey Holt should be in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, a lot of guys should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't in the Hall of Fame. But uh, I'm happy with my career. As time passes on, and you talk about someone, let's, let's talk about Andre Reid for a second. I won't – I'll. Won't mention Torrey Holton, Isaac Bruce. I agree with those three myself, but those are recent retires. You know, with, within the past, you know, Isaac Bruce has been retired for what exactly about five years, and I don't think Torrey Holton's been retired for five years quite yet. When you look at someone like Andre Reed, who's been retired for, you know, for 12 years, I believe. So as time passes on, do you think it becomes harder and harder to get in, or does the process stay the same? Well, it becomes harder to get in because the sports writers don't remember you as much. Number two, and the numbers change, because especially the offensive game, the offensive game has changed. I mean, when I played in the league, if you caught 60 balls, you were really good because we used to beat up on receivers. I mean, that was what we did for – we just did just because. 
we beat up on them, hit them in the head, flip them on their backs. They never wanted to come in the middle. Now guys are living in the middle because they know they can't get hit. So Andre Reed catches 80 passes in the 80s. When a guy catches 80 passes a day, the wear and tear on Andre Reed is twice as much as the wear and tear on the guy today because the guy today can't get hit. Andre Reed was getting hit. So I think it's bad because the sports writers, time goes on and sports writers forget or they don't, they never remember because they weren't there. And they're so enamored by today's players and the media coverage that today's players get. And so it's, 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 it's almost like what's, what's the next thing? Who's the latest? You know, and it's hard to really go back and see how, how good those guys really were. If you had a voice and could change the process, what would you do differently? Um, I, would let, I would let players be involved in the voting. I would let retired players get involved in the voting. I would let retired coaches or coaches get involved with the voting, just like they did with the Pro Bowl. When I, was, when I, was, uh, when I played, the fans never voted for the Pro Bowl. See, it was the teams. All the players, all the coaches, we voted for the Pro Bowl. And as a team, all we had was a certain amount of picks for every position. We had like three corners we had to pick, three receivers we had to pick, two quarterbacks. And so our whole team voted. And we sent our ballot in as a, as a team for the Pro Bowl. But now the fans vote. So I think letting the players get involved in the voting more, retired players and active players, will kind of even the playing field. Do you think, because Andre Reed's not the only one. I mean, there's some guys that, and it kind of looks to me a little bit like the NFL is trying to go back and get other players that may have been left behind. You look now, there's probably two guys that maybe, um, I remember Raphael Wright uh, from from Wrightsville, Georgia. Yeah, Cowboys. Uh, played for the Cowboys, and, you know, he had been retired since 1972, I believe it was, or some some, some ridiculous number, and he gets in three years ago. Um, do you think, that the NFL is getting a little bit better with that, or do because it appears they're trying to go back and get some old guys that may have been forgotten about or left behind. Well, you know the difference between the see the difference between the NFL Hall of Fame and the Baseball Hall of Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown has been there for a long time. They didn't miss anybody. They've been going back since 1913 or 1920. Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm not sure how old it is, but the NFL Hall of Fame was just 1962. So you figure they had they're they're, they're catching up still. Because they're getting in five or five guys a year, but they've had to catch up because all the guys that played prior to 62, you had to bring them up to speed. Then you miss the guys in 62 and 63 and 64. And so it's a long process. And so I think they're, they're trying to go back. Because, you know, Ray, if you're right, seven or eight Pro Bowls, he got to be in there. They just, they just missed him. And uh, so I think they're doing a better job of going back, trying to get those players. So when you, when you, when you look at guys like Ray, for right, doesn't that – give you a little bit of hope that maybe it might happen, whether you think you should have or not. I know you mentioned you didn't feel like you should have, but, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, five times All-Pro, okay, you one of only three players, I believe, in NFL that were uh, All-Pro at two different positions. Um, You have a record that's almost 33 years old. I'll be 33 this week, I believe, uh, that you broke NFL record for most punt return yardage in in a single game. And there have been some great returners since 1980. You, so obviously it's not a, 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 a feat that's that easy to accomplish. I mean, you look at the game now, you know, when you played, special teams stayed the same every week. Guys got paid to play special teams. Nowadays, special teams changes 
every week. It stayed the same when you played. So in my opinion, it seems like it would have been a lot easier lately to break the record. No one's been able to do it. I mean, that has to speak for itself. Well, I think it's, it has to speak with the arrogance of, of Lehman Bennett, the coach of the Atlanta Falcons back in 1981. <laughs> I'd already ran one back for 85 yards. <laughs> then I ran one back for 75 yards. And you still punting to me? You know, if it wasn't for the fact that I was out all night, I probably would have had three that day. <laughs> but uh, I got a little tired. I was playing. In fact, I was. And you look at all the great, great punt returners. None of them, none of them, except for probably Deion Sanders and maybe Lim Barney, ever was all pro at a regular position. See, most of the guys that did punt returns, that's all they that's did. That's all they did. They're backup receivers or backup DBs. I was on the front line, all pro corner, all pro punt returner. But it just goes back to the same. The, my, my thing is that I, I'm a big football fan. And I look at the Hall of Famers as there's no guesswork. I tell Eric Dickerson this all the time. The, the, the test that I give a Hall of Famer is when you mention his name, if I say Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. If I got to think about it, he's not a Hall of Famer. If, if I have any doubts whether the guy could be or could not be a Hall of Famer, he's not a Hall of Famer. You take baseball, for instance. Some years, no one goes in. They just don't put people in just to put people in. I think sometimes the NFL, it's just it's such a big marketing and a money maker for the NFL. They put people in just to put people in. So you're saying there's some people that probably shouldn't be in. I mean, just... I'm just saying. There's some, when you get there's some guys you think about. I won't ask you to mention names. I'm not gonna mention names. Everybody who's in deserves to be in. Don't get me wrong, but there are some marginal guys that that are in that maybe shouldn't be in, and uh, there are some guys that should be in and aren't in. So I, I just think that you know if 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 I if you can uh, you name Dickerson in, Emmitt Smith in, Deion Sanders in, you know Lim Barney in, Mean Joe Green. I mean these guys you know are in. And so that's, that's the litmus test right there. 33 years NFL record. Will it ever be broken? And I don't want to jinx it now because well, I'm, I'm saying that we're pushing up on the anniversary, 33 years. But I don't want to jinx it. But do you think it'll ever be broken? All records will be broken. That's for sure. Um, In your lifetime? Uh, all records will be broken. I, I, I'm not sure how long I'm going to live. I mean, do I got 30 more years or I got 10 more years? You tell me. Well, let, let's, let's, <laughs> well, let's just say, you know, I, I hope that you live to your uh, thousand. Okay. But, but you but know, it'll be broken by then. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, happy and I'm a bitter, bitter, it's a bitter sweetness because the sweetness part is I'll be recognized for one day again. <laughs> People say, well, Lee Irvin's record got broke. Oh, he'd be in the news for one day, and I'll get interviews for one day. There have been some guys that have been close. I think someone was like five yards away. I think it was Eddie Drummond was back, uh, I believe. I think it was 197. Yeah, he was close. Yeah, he was close. He was close. Uh, but, you know, do I want it to be broken? Of course not. I mean, you, wanna, that's, you don't want your record to be broken. You want to set it forever. But I do know that it will be broken. Um, if it's broke this week, I mean, more power to the guy that breaks it. I mean, you look at the fact that I, I went for 207 yards in a game. There's only two other guys that have went over 200 yards. The guy I broke the record, uh, George Atkinson, a good friend of mine, he had 206 yards. He broke the record. In, he set the record in 1969. I come along in 1981, and I broke it. That's the year you fell in love with the game, 1969. Exactly. 1969. <laughs> exactly. 
Do, do you remember that game? Uh, what game? Do the one with George Act when, when he? No, I didn't see the game. I didn't see that game because back then we don't, you know we didn't have ne- you know it was only like one game on a week. You know you couldn't see football. Have you seen film on it? I've not seen film on George Atkinson's return. No. And do you do you sit find yourself watching, like the game you broke the record in? Do you find yourself watching those those kind of games? Um, I haven't. I I very rarely have seen clips of that game. I, I don't. I have a. I have a tape at home. I believe, and I may have looked at it on the internet once or twice before. But I don't really go back and look at my old games and and old stuff. What's your most memorable moment playing in NFL? Uh, getting drafted by the Rams. That was, that was that to me. That was the most exciting day of my life uh, because not only uh, was I was I. Be, was able being able to live a dream come true, but I was in a city that never sleeps, not New York, L.A. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being in Hollywood was like from Georgia to Hollywood. Come on, man! You know, Augusta, Georgia to L.A. I mean, I couldn't. I was in dreamland. Since you played for the Rams, uh, the Rams have since moved on to St. Louis. Do you think they'll ever come back? Oh, they'll be they'll be back. They'll, they'll be back. Uh, I, I think the Rams will be back. Uh, Within three years, as long as it takes Stan Kroenke to get out of that lease in St. Louis, and for the and for him to buy AIG and then then to build a stadium downtown, it's gonna come. It's gonna come around. How did it make you feel when the Rams decided to leave? Was it like, a, was, it, was it an empty feeling? You know, because you had built, you had played for the Rams, and you guys were in LA the whole time. I know when you first started, you guys were playing at the Coliseum. Then you moved to what was then Anaheim Stadium. Uh, which is now Angel Stadium, does not look the same, by the way, as it did when you played. Um, but that's where you, you made your name for yourself, where you built the reputation of, of being a, a, a Sunday warrior. So when they left, was there something, did it take something with them, a part of you, did, did a part of you go away? You know, uh, well, yeah, the money. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if the Rams were here, I'd be doing autograph signings over here. I'd be doing things for the team, getting paid over here. And, you know, we'd be more, we'd have more of an influence in the community. More fan base, I understand. As, as ex-players, we, we'd be ambassadors for the team in the community. But when they left, you know, there's no team to support us. Uh, and so we kind of all went our own separate ways. Um, I, I was not sad for the Rams leaving because I love Georgia Frontieri. And uh, I, think, I think she got a really bad break. You know, she wasn't the richest owner. I mean, her only income came from the team. And so by her moving to St. Louis, it finally gave her a breathing room where she can have money and she can live the rest of her life in comfort. And uh, so I think it was, a, it was a good thing for the Rams and for her. You know, but it's, it's really Anaheim's fault. I mean, you know, you look at California. There's not been a new stadium built in California, a football stadium, since probably the 60s. I mean, the Oakland Coliseum is old and run down. The 49ers play in the old Candlestick Park, old and run down. The Coliseum is old and run down. And Angel Stadium, old and run down. Qualcomm, Qualcomm, whatever you call it in San Diego, old and run down. So they wanted a new stadium, and the city didn't want to give it to them, and so they went to greener pastures. You mentioned Georgia. Um, to a lot of people, you know, some people love her. A lot of people don't like her. But when I talk to old players from the Rams, it seems like there is a great respect and love for her. What do you guys see differently that other people seem to have missed? Well, you know, we we did not like the fact that we were underpaid. okay? and the fans did not like the fact that we were underpaid because the fans want to win. And we did win. But they felt like if we would have paid a little bit more money, 
we would have had a better product on the field. You would have been able to keep Dickerson and players like that. But the reason I love Georgia so much is because a good friend of mine, Kirk Collins, had my, uh, I think my third year in the league, Kirk Collins was diagnosed with cancer, uh, uh, esophagus cancer. And the amount of love and respect that Georgia showed Kirk and his family and continued to show his family behind the scenes, no one saw it. We saw it. We saw how she flew us all to Texas for the funeral, the, all the things she did for the family uh, that she didn't have to do. And, and, and it shows her compassion for us. It's not just players, but it's people, you know. And so as a person, we have to, we, we just gave her the same love back. Hey, the football's a business. Yes. Yeah, we, it's a business. And she always, she said to me, said, Leroy, see that bus boy over there? He thinks he's underpaid too. And she was right. That bus boy thought he was underpaid, just like I did. But her love for me was still there. Even when, in my, during my darkest times in my life, she was there for me. So I still had love for her. Things are out of her control. And, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people, you know, away from players. Players seem to love her. But when you talk to certain people, oh, she was this, she was that. And, you know, obviously the situation with the, uh, the, the drowning situation is always speculation with that. We won't get into that. But it seems to me as if players really care about it. And to me, that is more so than when, when I look at players and coaches and things, when I see the love of his own teammates, to me that's, that, that extends further than what people and the outside see because they never really know that person. Right. You know, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back. The game has changed a little bit since the last time Lee Irvin played. We'll ask him about that when we come back. See you in two minutes. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. Let's do it. Get It Done Sports is one of the top sporting event facilitators and athletic trainers in the country. Get It Done Sports works with athletes to become the best they can be through speed, agility, and weight training as well as junior high and high school football camps. Get It Done Sports provides an environment that fosters teamwork, discipline, responsibility, respect, family values, and, of course, hard work. With specialized instruction and programs, low athlete-to-coach ratios, and an encouraging learning environment, every athlete gets the level of attention required to improve their skills. At Get It Done Sports, our objective is to develop the next generation of leaders, citizens, and athletes who will become the role models in our communities. For more information about Get It Done Sports training and football camps, please go to www.getitdonesports.com. In life, there are those who make excuses and those who get it done. You only live once. Get it done. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are tuned in to Get It Done Sports Radio with Karif Bird. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Please call in to 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to info at getitdonesportsradio.com. Now, back to the show. Get It Done Sports Radio, we are back. Get It Done Sports Training. Send us an email, info at getitdonesports.com for all your speed and agility and sports performance needs. We're here, five times All-Pro Leroy Irvin. Um, you last played in 1990 for the Detroit Lions. The difference between now, well, it's just, let's go back to 1980. The difference is, let's start with the draft, how much different it is today. Uh, and let's bring it to now, 2013. We're talking about 33 years. Well, you know, back then we had like a 12 rounds in the draft, you know, so... Uh, and there were unlimited players you can bring into training camp. You know what I mean? The Cowboys, you bring in 126 guys. How, you, how, you, how do you put numbers on 126 guys? <laughs> well, the Cowboys brought in a lot of players. The Rams, you bring in about 90, 95 players. Now it's, it's you know, six rounds in the draft, I think. Uh, the teams are limited to 80 players they can bring in. It's, the rules have changed so much. Even simple things like tackling techniques, blocking techniques. Uh, you know, what you can and cannot do as far as to the offensive player. They've really limited the amount of punishment you can give the offensive player. Uh, they call it safety, but the offensive players are running around thinking they're all world now because they ain't getting hit. And so that has really changed the game, I think, the rules. Do you think it's helped or hurt? Well, it's for safety. So the safety part of the game, it's helped. It's helped the game become more safe. You know, you got to figure the guys are getting bigger, stronger, and faster now. And 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 we used to take, we used to de- deliver some punishment. I mean, you, uh, imagine way back when, when the face mask first came out, people had leather helmets on, and one guy decided he's going to put a face mask on to protect his nose. That's when the helmet became a weapon. But back then, you could tackle a guy with his face mask. You could grab his face mask and bring him to the ground. So as slowly but surely, the rules have changed to protect the players. And I think the players nowadays have way more protection than we had. I mean, I used to play in games with concussions. I get a concussion. They put smelling salt on my nose and send me back out there. You know, college, high school, pros. Now you even got a headache. They sit you out for two weeks. So uh, I think the rules have changed to, to really help the players. And I think they're going to have a long-lasting effects for the to the health of the players. Do you think if the rules were in place when you played, do you think guys would have played a lot longer? Yes. Guys would have played a lot, unless they would have priced themselves out of the market. Uh, but guys would have played definitely a lot longer. Uh, but also, I'm not so sure, though, because the way they have the OTAs and the way they work out year-round, uh, we didn't work out year-round, so we were able to refresh our bodies get away from football for a while. You know, we worked out, but we didn't have to get no organized workouts like the guys do now. So I think now it's more of a full-time job for the players, where for us it was more of a part-time. Well, they're making a lot more money than they did back then, too. So, But do you think, you know, the money has changed a lot? You know, when, when you first came around, it was there was no it's salary caps and things were not the same as they are now. 
do you feel like those things have helped or helped or hurt the game? Well, you know, the, you know, in free in free agency as well too. See, I'm not for salary caps, you know, because I hear on the news all the time Republicans talking about free market, free enterprise, free market, free enterprise. Well, there's no free enterprise in college sports, and there's no free enterprise in pro sports. I mean, with salary caps, you're going to tell me the owner, you're going to demand that the owner only spend this much money on his workers? What other business does that? Does IBM have a salary cap? Does does, uh, Walmart have a salary cap? Does Apple have a salary cap? But, you know, so I think the salaries are, are, you know, the players deserve the money because if, if if the owners weren't making the money, they couldn't pay the players. I mean, the owners aren't dumb. They're smart. They're businessmen. They have the money to pay the players. And the difference between our money and their money is that our money was seasonal. Their money is generational. I mean, these guys are coming away with $80, $100 million. Their grandkids' grandkids will probably have some of that money. Whereas my money, $45,000, Uncle Sam takes $15,000. I'm left with $30, a $1,500 or $1,200 rent for my apartment, $300 car payment. Hey, I'm already broke. <laughs> Do you feel like that the NFL should cut back on salaries, or should they increase them? Uh, I, I well, I don't see the movie theaters cutting back on salaries. I don't mm-hmm. see you know the, the actors getting salary caps. You know, uh, I'm MGM. I can only pay uh, Bruce Willis twenty million dollars for this film. That's the, the salary cap. No, they pay Bruce Willis whatever they want to pay him. And I think. It should be like that for athletes, too. I mean, the owners should be independent enough to say, if I want to pay for that guy, I should be able to pay for him. But the, the, the problem is Pete Rozelle set up the NFL so there could be parity. And so the only way to have parity is to control the purse. The purse. You know, you can't have one owner spending $200 million, like in baseball, another owner in a small market spending $70 million and, you, and expect to compete. If football is not a game like that, not like baseball. Do you think college players should be paid? Yes, definitely yes. I think, and, I, and you know, screw Title IX. I mean, come on. That's not free market. How is that a free market system, Title IX? You tell a business, okay, with the women going to, you know, I mean, I don't, not that I get on women, but, I mean, if, if the women won't support women's sports, okay, if women won't watch women's sports, then why should men be responsible for that. Men watch men's sports, and the main sports that men watch are baseball, basketball, football, golf, and that's why those guys get paid because the men are watching the sports. So now you go to college, and you got three sports that basically pay for all the other sports, and 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 the, and the goose that's laying the golden egg, the workers that are working for that sport are getting the same thing that the workers are getting for another sport that nobody watches. And now I got to, you know, I can't take my girlfriend to lunch or dinner because I can't make money. I can't work during the school year. And my parents aren't rich. I don't have any allowance. So how do I wash my clothes? How do I take my girlfriend to the movies? How do I have extracurricular activities if I'm a poor person with a scholarship? How do you propose they start paying? If, if they were to start paying, let's just say, how do you propose them? How do you propose if they were to pay them, how should they do it? I think I think it should be all the all the weak guys need to get out of the game. All the weak schools need to get out of the game. If you want to you want to play like you're a Division One A school, ante up and pay the guys a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever. But if your if your finances are so low 
that you're trying to perpetrate being a Division One A school and you're really a Division One AA or a Division Two school, you should move back down to the lower divisions where you wouldn't have to pay any money. I think that the top name schools like USC, the Division One schools, should pay their players. But the Division Two, One AA, obviously they won't have the finances to do that. You mentioned USC. Who should be the next coach of the Trojans? Jack Del Rio. That's easy. My man Jack. He's a he's a Trojan. He's a he's a, a, a great coach at Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's a defensive coordinator at the uh, New Orleans Saints right now. Great guy. He'd be he'd be my number one choice. Not Jeff Fisher. Well, Jeff Fisher's not going to lead the Rams job for that job. I mean, would you? The money's different. Definitely the money's different. <laughs> but like you mentioned, Jack Del Rio's an SC guy, so is Jeff Fisher. Um, as far as when you when, when you talk when we mentioned saying to go about paying the players now, when I when I was asking that question, I want to know did you you kind of sort of answered it, but sports where they're non revenue, do you think they should be getting paid too? No. And why is that? I, I understand. I, I understand the part of capitalism. <laughs> capitalism. Hey, if no money's coming in, how can money go out? If, if I'm playing volleyball, nobody's watching. And they gave me a scholarship, and nobody's coming to watch my volleyball game. And I'm playing football, and I got eighty thousand people out there buying sodas and parking and all kinds of stuff. Why should the Why should the volleyball player get two hundred bucks a month? Well, I'm only getting two hundred. If you don't give her two hundred, I should get two thousand. I think it should be the revenue generating sports should be the ones considered to for to because because those are the ones that make the money. So. When you're looking at, let's just say we're talking, we're talking about non-revenue sports. What about some sports that are big sports that aren't necessarily revenue generated? Like let's let's take Duke for instance, huge. You know, Mike Shashevsky probably the most celebrated college basketball coach probably ever, ever mm-hmm. other than you know Rupp or Wooden. Wooden. You know, so when, when you take those, the football team's not generating that kind of money. Do you feel like the pay scale should be the same for a Duke basketball player as it is for a Duke football player? Hey, believe it or not, they, Duke football, they'd be getting at least twenty, thirty thousand in, in the stadium. True, 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 true so enough. In basketball, they, they're, they're getting, I mean, football is, is a revenue, is a revenue generating sport, sport at Duke and at all the other Division I schools. I mean, they may not be like Alabama, but they're definitely revenue generating sports, and so. So, do you think the pay scale should be different? In those the same or different in those situations? Okay, let me ask you another question. Do you think the USC football players should get more money than the USC basketball players? Well, now the, <laughs> the, the, the difference there, though, is we're talking about in most cases the football team is a big generator, right? You know, in this case, basketball, and maybe Duke wasn't the best example, but in basketball, Duke is. They're the most, the most, probably the most known basketball program there is of the past 15 years, right. maybe 15, 20. Um, Duke football, not so much. But you had mentioned that you thought that, you know, they're not generating. And obviously Duke football is generating money. I mean, because right. football is an expensive sport to carry. Right. Let's be honest about that. But do you, you know, as far as Duke basketball, they're the draw there. Right. The draw there. So right. the pay scale, should it should it be the same or should it be a little less? I think when you talk about revenue generating sports, division one, athletes should all be the same. the same. Okay, for revenue generating sports. Okay, yes. I understand that. The revenue generating sports, the sports that you charge the public to come in and watch. 
Now you can go to a women's basketball volleyball game at some school, you walk right in the door. Yeah, they don't wrestling, they don't track, charge. you walk right in the you, you, don't, you yeah, don't, don't pay nothing. They don't, they don't charge. <laughs> they, don't, they don't charge at all. I mean, some baseball programs too. They exactly. Don't, they, don't, they don't charge. They don't anything. charge. So you it, it'd be per university basis. You know, you know, you'd, you'd ask yourself, okay, well. We're going to charge to get in, then we'll pay you guys. We're not going to be charging you guys don't get paid. I, I think it should be something up front in the, in, the, in the scholarship. I think it should be included in the scholarship because I think you have to give the kids some type of striping to take care of normal college stuff because you figure I'm going to school and I'm playing football and I'm not allowed to work. I can't even get a part-time job. So I need to have some kind of striping to help me with my incidentals like the other students are able to do for their incidentals. Well, Leroy, we only got about 30 more seconds, man. First, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, ladies and gentlemen, five times all pro Leroy Irvin. If you get a chance to go on, they allow the fans to vote a little bit now for the Hall of Fame. If you get a chance, go on, vote Leroy Irvin. He says he doesn't think he deserves to get in. I disagree, and a lot of other people do the same. Tune in to us next week. Uh, same time, same place. Get it done, sports radio. Get it done, sports. I'm your host, Kareem Bird. He's Leroy Irvin. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to Get It Done Sports Radio featuring host Kareem Bird. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Until then, make it an amazing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.